0: This is Zenshu the podcast, episode 489, for the week of August 15th, 2021. Well, hello, welcome back to Zenshu the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Zenshu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. My name is Mike. You may see me around as Vigito Ex. Uh, forgive me, Dende, for I have sinned. It has been four months since my last podcast episode. I will not make excuses for it. I will simply explain the situation. Uh, and that's the explanation. <laughs> There's been a lot of stuff in the works, though, uh, as is typical for Konzenchu. Uh, I'm not going to belabor that point. Let's just get on into it. What do we have on tap for you this episode? Because it's a good one. It's a big one. Uh, Ian, you may see him around as Cypher. He's joining us. As for what's kind of a follow up to his last time on the show back in October, taking a look at all the parties involved in the Dragon Ball Super manga serialization, uh, what's changed, what's stayed the same, etc. And in particular, we will be looking at Toriyama and Toyotaro, the extent to what they do and how they do it. It is a great chat, uh, especially right now with so many little tidbits. Uh, That have been in V Jump and Toyotaro is in the midst of a two part video interview, which we very rarely get, and we're getting some great stuff out of. So, Ian and I are going to break all that down for you, have a real great chat looking at uh, everything that we know about how the manga is going, what changed from the TV adjacent arcs going into the Galactic Patrol Prisoner arc with Moro, and now into the Granola the Survivor arc. But since it has been four months since the last podcast episode, uh, I do want to cover, I guess, Three very significant news stories and uh, not in any super detail, but if you are just a podcast listener that doesn't go to the website, you may not know that these things have occurred. So let's cover them real quick. Hey, uh, so we're getting a new theatrical film called track and ball super superhero i don't want to go into too much detail on it right here uh, this is the kind of thing that even if you're just a podcast listener of guns and you you have no doubt seen elsewhere across the internet we do have an article on the homepage that details all of the uh, major announcements in minutia associated with this news so please just go check it out and know that we will of course be covering that in the future here on the podcast and of course on the website uh, everything's already underway for all the you know contemporary documentation that needs to be alongside that so that's one of those this is major but stay tuned on it remember when tubi announced that dr slump was going to be coming to their streaming service well the monkey's paw has curled and we do indeed have dr slump 1997 reboot television series streaming for free in its entirety on tubi that sure is a thing um just go watch it if you want and perhaps go read the manga instead. The entirety of the manga is available on Viz's, uh, their $2 Shonen Jump Vault subscription. Um, That may be the recommended way to check out Dr. Slump uh, now and in the past and forever. You know, everyone likes different things for different reasons. If you want to check out and see in 1997, what the hell we all were looking at after GT going, really, this is, well, okay. (laughs) <laughs> you have to experience it for yourself. Uh, probably the most significant news. The, um, the, Shinsuke Kikuchi has passed away. Kikuchi, of course, the composer for the Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z franchises, uh, started Dr. Slump before then, carried over into the Dragon Ball series, worked on all the contemporary movies back during the original serialization. We're gonna have to do more on this in the future. Uh, what an incredible career, an incredible body of work. Uh, back when Hiromitsuru passed away. We promised a tribute. Uh, and it's been a little bit too heartbreaking to really pull something together there. This is something we need to do more and do better in this regard. And I promise we will. I just don't know what shape or how that will come to be. Uh, it will probably be a couple old guys and gals sitting around on a podcast podcast. Uh, exchanging stories Um, that's kind of the the best way (laughs) I I can think to do it and uh, uh, the most real from our perspective I I think you just need to go watch the series (laughs) and and listen to it and and the the way that it brings out that series uh, Kikuchi's score is something back in 1996 when I discovered Dragon Ball Z that took me from liking this cool show to wanting to devote myself to learning everything about this franchise that was the thing that opened my eyes and ears (laughs) to what dragon ball truly was more so than any other aspect of the production of the franchise thank you for everything you gave us uh and i promise we will do and say more about you and your work in the future so that being said let's get on into our topic which i've already recorded and edited so it's ready to go Uh, i hope you enjoy ian and i talking about the dragon Ball super manga and how it is being put together and which people are responsible for doing that enjoy that topic i will see you on the flip side of that with a little bullet list of things to check out on content right now and that'll be the episode so enjoy and i'll see you on the opposite side of this topic Joining the podcast, i <laughs> in the grander scheme of things is actually probably in terms of like numbers more recently. You've been on the podcast than it would otherwise seem. But by time, it's been a, a very long time joining us live from Japan. It's Ian. Probably see him around as some permutation on Cypher online. Hello, sir.
1: Hi, uh, good to be here. Yeah, it's been a minute since I was last on. Uh doesn't feel like that long ago, but uh, looking yeah, at it objectively, it definitely is.
0: I feel the same way, especially because we're always just all talking all the time. Like, I, I have this weird thing where I've been doing stuff for so long that three, four months can go by without a podcast. I'm like, it was yesterday, right? But no. Sure, totally. <laughs> it's, it's been a long time. Uh, I... <laughs> So there's a new movie. I don't care about the new movie right now. We're going to talk about manga stuff
1: because... Yeah, let's talk about the manga.
0: It's contemporary. It's ongoing. Uh, it's important. It is kind of like the lifeblood of new Dragon Ball content right now. It's
1: it's hip. It's now. I'm always telling people this.
0: Uh, I, I like talking about the manga with you specifically because not just that you keep up with it, but you are interested in the craft behind it in a way that I don't see a lot of other folks talking about. Now, granted, I have a very self-selected group of people that I followed that talk about Dragon Ball. So who knows, you know, what else is out there? Who could say what other people exist talking about Dragon Ball online? I kind of want to start at the beginning with some of the key players and then we can kind of like go through the... I actually don't know how we want to go through this. We're going to see. So let's start at that top. Uh, Akira Toriyama, you may have heard of this man before.
1: I have, yeah. I think he he wrote a little series called The Doctor Slump, and then just a one-hit wonder, really.
0: Went nowhere. Uh, Maybe a couple one-shots over the time. Uh, Yeah, so he's the original author. We've talked about uh, credits, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about credits uh, as we get into this discussion. Gensaku, (laughs) original work, uh, Akira Toriyama. Uh, Toriyama is not exclusively responsible for the Dragon Ball Super manga, the official continuation of the series, but he's certainly in Involved in it, and uh, that's something that we will uh, talk about with regard to the the last two arcs. Well, the last completed arc, and then the current, the ongoing new arc, and then the the rest of the arcs before then. Uh, but that takes us to Toyotaro, who is solely responsible for the final art that you see on the page, with the exception of maybe some corrections from Toriyama. But even then, uh, Toyotaro is still the one submitting <laughs> the the work there. Uh, and we'll get into more about him in a little bit, which kind of leaves us with two other people that are also very important to the Dragon Ball Super manga. And if you've been listening to the podcast and following the website for a while, you've certainly heard these names before. Uh, Akio Ioku is probably at the top of the food chain here. Uh, he is the editor-in-chief of V-Jump. V-Jump is the monthly publication where Dragon Ball Super is serialized in Japan. Uh, and in addition to that, he is the head of the Dragon Ball Room, which is like this multi-departmental consortium of guiding Dragon Ball's future that we heard a lot about early on, and then nothing about within recent time. I feel like uh, does that sum up Eoku pretty well?
1: Uh, I think that's correct. Yeah, I think uh, moving into some of the, I, I think the next person we're going to talk about. Maybe it's important to clarify that what Ioku does is he handles the the entire franchise of Dragon mm-hmm. Ball. Um, So that includes the movies, the manga, multimedia projects. Um, He's sort of the head person for that.
0: Right. He's probably the one putting the final signature on things after getting whatever other approvals he needs to get, um, if any, (laughs) at that point. But let's talk about number four. So that's uh, Victory Uchida. (laughs) That's that's a name.
1: That's that's what he's called. Yeah. Um, Every... Every place he's credited, every place he appears, he, he goes by his pen name, stage name uh, uh, kind of functions as both, Uh, Victory Uchida.
0: And we've had this in the past. I'm actually blanking on his name right now, but he was like the 90s version of this in V-Jump with the video games. Um,
1: yes, and they have several now. Um, It's not right. just Victory Uchida. All of their uh, full-time magazine staff tend to have these alternate... Uh, public relations, personalities, mascot personalities that they embody for their uh, appearances in the pages of the magazine and in online videos and conferences.
0: Doesn't Ioku as well, isn't he like King something?
1: Uh, I believe so. I, I can't speak to that with authority right now. But yeah, I, I almost everyone who's involved in the production of the magazine has a, a character that they play.
0: Uh, so Uchida, what is he? Who is he? Well, he's Toyotaro's editor on the series Uh, we've certainly talked about editors over the years um, most specifically with Kazuhiko Torishima who was Toriyama's first editor is the one who discovered Toriyama really and the one who continued to reject him until he came up with something good Uh, the role that Torishima played with Toriyama is very different from the role that Uchida plays with Toyotaro uh, and that's is for a combination of reasons it's Well, what magazine they're published in is probably one of the biggest ones. But the the state of reality of what Dragon Ball Super is compared to the original series. Uh, And let's talk about V-Jump a little bit because it's changed over the years. When V-Jump first started, it it was the promo magazine. It was here's a bunch of games. Uh, Here's. Manga that's not real manga. Here's manga that's showing our games. Uh, one of the first manga series in V Jump in its early uh, promotional issues before they kind of started working on what their real format was was it was a cardass series where here's Dragon Ball cards and this kid named V, Bui, is playing this in a a big stadium. That's what V-Jump was early on, uh, and that's what it continued to be for a long time. Uh, Tell me about some of the series that have been in and and are in V-Jump now and how that's changed.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, there was actually a a thread on Twitter just, I think, last week of some of the uh, mostly 90s, some early 2000s covers for V-Jump that Toriyama had done. Mm -hmm. And it was really striking looking back on them, because everything that was on the cover and everything that was advertised on the cover, with very, very few exceptions, was game-related. And a lot of the time, it was a game based on a jump property, so a game based on Dragon Ball. But it was still very much video games at the center. Uh, There was a little bit on there for the Dr. Slump revival. um, But even that, in the cover artwork, it was Dr. Slump characters... Uh, mimicking Dragon Quest covers. It was all game-related.
0: I love those. Arale dressed up as Dragon Quest characters. Arale dressed up as Cloud from Final Fantasy VII. Like, this is how they were promoting stuff.
1: Right, right. It was very much a game magazine with some manga in it and some promotion of other jump properties and jump-related multimedia projects. Um, But that was its identity. So a lot of the manga that ran in it back in the day were things that were game-related. Although, uh, earlier on, it had something it doesn't really have now, which was... In addition to all of this game coverage that made up the bulk of it, uh, from what I can tell, it would also occasionally have little original manga by some of the uh, big names who had left Weekly Jump. So some of Toriyama's later one-shots would run in there. That's really changed uh, on both fronts. So it's shifted away from being primarily a game magazine. Uh, I think One of the reasons is probably that game magazines just don't really exist in the same way anymore or can't because everything is online. You can't put cheat codes. You can't put guides in a magazine. You can't sell it on that. So they do still cover games. They do coverage, uh, a pre-release coverage of a lot of the jump related video games.
0: Yeah, that's usually the first like quarter of the magazine. Like here's the two pages on the Dragon Ball game. Here's the spread on the Naruto game. Here's the JoJo stuff coming out. And then you'll get some manga and then some more games in the middle.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, the way it's organized now is almost like uh, uh, this is, I guess, getting a little bit ahead to what manga are running in it. But they sure they have Dragon Ball Super. They have Boruto. Uh, who you may know is the son of Naruto. Uh, they have two Yogiyo manga, which has been a thing for a while. I think they had three at one point. Uh, they have a Dragon Quest Die prequel. They have the Dragon Quest 10 spin off manga, which has been running for uh, forever. Uh, and then they have a couple of other small little game related things. Um, mm-hmm. But really, it's become. Sort of the place where weekly Shonen jump sequels and spin-offs go. And that's now the bulk of the magazine. And even the game coverage now is sort of formatted around those manga. So all mm-hmm. of the Dragon Ball game coverage, the, the gacha game coverage, the figure coverage, it all goes before or after the super manga. And that's the right. Dragon Ball, like fifth of the magazine that month. All of the <laughs> Naruto co- coverage goes on either side of Boruto. Uh, all of the Yu-Gi-Oh! coverage, that's the other niche this magazine has, by the way. It's the only yeah. place that Yu-Gi-Oh! The, uh, OCG, TCG coverage can run. So that was its selling point for a while, I think, after the game coverage died out, is it was the only place to get news about Yu-Gi-Oh! for mm-hmm. people who played it. Um, but all of that coverage goes on either side of one of the Yu-Gi-Oh! manga that is running in it. And then the same thing now for Die and Dragon Quest-related coverage. So it's become formatted around the manga and the manga i think have really become one of the two selling points so the games the game coverage has now become sort of incidental and right. it's selling itself on jump sequel and spin-off manga most of them also have anime tie-ins some of those series have ended on tv and continue in the magazine that's pretty regular i uh maybe some of those anime will return to tv one day maybe they won't i i imagine uh, some Yu-Gi-Oh! GX fans were waiting for for years for that one to return while it was running in V-Jump. That, that didn't happen. Uh, so, yeah, it's really structured around the, the manga. And then its other selling point now is uh, freebies, because they do pack-in cards for Dragon Ball oh, Heroes, yeah. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh in
0: particular. I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh has been killing me with V-Jump. There have been a couple months where you just can't buy the magazine. Yeah,
1: if you ever can't buy the magazine, it's because there was a good Yu-Gi-Oh card in it. Um, But even the uh, Dragon Quest now has a Dragon Ball Heroes equivalent card arcade game, so they'll do pack-ins for that. So those are the two selling points now. It is now sequel spin-off fiction, and that is its selling point um, Mm -hmm. and the promotions. Um, But that's a really, really big shift from what it started as, which was mostly game coverage, a little bit of manga that's really reversed over the years.
0: Uh, and if you, you can't tell, we're talking from a perspective of uh, a couple of people who actually regularly consume this magazine. Um, that's something I love about Consenshu is we make it a point to, um, begrudgingly purchase all of the things we're talking about. So I buy it for historical perspective, but in you're you're in the Yugi. I, as well. There is
1: something wrong with me because I buy this magazine and I genuinely read, uh, well for a while, just one of the series and now like d- two and a half of them. Uh, yeah. And for this, I pay more than the price of a full volume of collected manga in Japan each month.
0: So no, you're getting the the real deal perspective here from folks who don't want to buy it, but do. Uh.
1: Yeah, if I had another way to read Super.
0: So I guess let's get back to uh, Ioku and Uchida a little bit in terms of what V-Jump is now. So we have Ioku, again, editor-in-chief of the magazine. You can probably understand all the the jobs and responsibilities that encompass a role like that. He's overseeing everything. Uchida is Toyotaro's editor on Dragon Ball Super. Um, And we've you and I on on the podcast here have talked. um, There's been an interview in the past that you kindly translated where Uchida talked about his role with regard to being in the room with Toriyama and Toyotaro and uh, how much his perspective is weighed in comparison to those. And that's very different from what Torishima's role was over top Toriyama, where Torishima actually kind of did have the final say. uh, And Toriyama would fight that by not delivering his manuscript until, you know, an hour before it was due. So that's how he would get around some things. But Torishima was the boss as much as there could be a boss on something like that. Um, Not so much that way these days it seems huh
1: yeah absolutely um yeah every interview we get with to- uh torishima which is a-, a gem everything he says is fantastic uh mm-hmm. really really puts him in sort of the the top role he is really yeah uh toriyama's boss during the original run when he's the editor and he does step off at a certain point but still maintains a lot of personal uh influence with toriyama and and this is the opposite uh one we should probably clarify we talked a lot about what runs in V Jump, but we should maybe mm-hmm. be a little bit more clear it's not like a real manga magazine it, it's very much right. like my metaphor for it for like a medium and market that i think people outside of japan will understand more is the the content that runs in Jump, the fiction that runs in it these are the direct to video sequels of the manga industry um very very different
0: i know people probably don't want to think of dragon ball super i'm dating myself here as the return of jafar of dragon, <laughs> dragon ball but
1: i think enough people will get that, is? that works. it is it totally is and i i say that as someone who enjoys it uh i have a lot of good things sure. to say about yeah, it but yeah. like that's the context like and that's the context you have to look at it with and i think you can look at it that way and, and still get something out of it but that's you know for a realistic perspective of the series it and everything else in v-jump these are the direct-to-video sequels.
0: Right. Like, yeah, it's Dragon Ball. Of course it's Dragon Ball. It's the, it's the real Dragon Ball. But it's but it's not the original real right, Dragon right. Ball. Right, right. And
1: that's fair. And, you know, no studio is going to... They're not investing in the next... Uh, in making their next big blockbuster project, uh, Dragon Ball manga, right? It uh-huh. had its day, and now people still like it, but this is where it goes. This is where the continuation goes. And that that's fair, I think. Um, But... Right.
0: My, my Hero Academia is not in V-Jump. Right. Boruto is now in V-Jump. It was actually originally in Weekly Shonen Jump, not running weekly, and then got moved to V-Jump, which, what was your take on that? Was that an attempt to kind of bolster V-Jump or, or kind of make V-Jump into what it has become?
1: I, I don't know if I can speak to authority with that because I don't follow Weekly Jump and its sales sure. enough, and I don't follow Naruto as a, a franchise uh, at all. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it seems consistent with sort of what the identity of both magazines are which is yeah. weekly jump is their big flagship title they want new series in it they want new hits in it and they want that space for things that are going to fulfill that role um so having a, a monthly sequel series running and it really feels like maybe it was an experiment but that that feels like from the get-go that was something that would be up v jumps alley and maybe the transition was sort of part of vjump rebranding into what it is now which is sort of Mm -hmm. sequel fiction first game coverage second um but i can't say for sure yeah just to to get that out of the way right that's what vjump is so when we look at the roles of the editors they fall in line with that right uh torishima's goal was to be the hit maker the hit finder for the flagship weekly magazine and victory uchida's role is to help be a mascot <laughs> yeah be a, a mascot an ambassador uh someone who is helping these continuations and spin-offs continue successfully and right right you know without rocking the boat and he's there to uh sort of facilitate between these superstar uh legendary weekly jump authors like Toriyama who have sort of had their day and are now uh having their sequel series drawn by uh, assistants and former fans and He's there to make that process work and to do some promotion. And that's his role with some creative input.
0: Uh, I see him as kind of like a project manager more than like a direct editor.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's obviously he has some creative role. Um, We know that he he will pitch ideas. And actually, some of the other collected V-Jump manga over the years have uh, talked more about their editor roles. So I I recently Mm -hmm. read through several Yu-Gi-Oh sequels, which were enlightening as far as Super, actually. Um, because yeah. a lot of their backup comics show the workflow between the artists uh the artists and the writers and the editor oh, nice, and nice. and the editors uh they do have creative input, so they'll make suggestions like hey this this would be a fun popular idea or they'll have the three sitting down together and and they'll all be pitching with each other. but yeah, mm-hmm. it is much more of a project managerial role and and they're facilitating the manga as part of. A multimedia initiative at some points. Um, so they're they're the ones who are responsible for being aware of that bigger picture, and the artist and right. writer, if they're if those roles exist, are, are the ones who are focusing solely on the creative aspect. So, Victory Uchida lays out his relationship here: is Toriyama's power level is one hundred million, Toyotaro's is ten million, and then he's at negative one hundred is the way he puts
0: it. <laughs> That kind of takes us into what the now that we're 20 minutes into setting up the conversation, what the conversation is about. And that is the the roles of all these people and the, the creative uh, craft who's responsible for what and why and how uh, an updated version of what we've talked about in the past, because we did talk about it a bit getting into the Moro arc, the Galactic Patrol prisoner arc of Dragon Ball Super, which was the first new post television series manga original arc. So Toyotaro was the one putting it out and sure, there are all these other roles. Um, so let's do a little bit of a look back on Dragon Ball Super and, and the way that some of these folks have contributed uh, and how that's definitely changed and, and morphed over the years. So Dragon Ball Super was announced as a television series. And then, oh, by the way, we're doing a manga and Battle of God's Ark sure happened in the manga resurrection f did not we've talked about all these for various reasons um the dragon ball super manga really came into its own in the future trunks arc wouldn't you say
1: yeah i i would be a little bit more generous because i i really like the u6 arc in the manga um so I, I it's think, fine it, i like it yeah but uh what happened in the future trunks arc and i think why a lot of people will say oh that's why it or where it came into its own Uh, is because that's when it got its big page count increase. Uh, It was like 15 to 20 pages per chapter uh, up through the end of uh, Universe 6, and then it jumped up to uh, 40-plus pages in the Future Trunks arc. And you can really see Toyotaro struggle with that uh, for a little bit, but he he does find his footing. Um, but yeah, that's where it it hits that massive, massive increase.
0: And so they talked about the Cuckoo Black arc and and how they're working on things in the past, um, volume four, the, the back of the book interview on there, uh, we have a translation on the site. It's, uh, officially translated in Viz's, um, collected releases as well later on. Um, there's some stuff in there. Is there anything you want to pull out of like this era of the toriyama toyotaro uh production
1: yeah well let's i guess let's build up to what the question that we're looking at here is which is i guess what the hell is happening with the granola arc and yeah who is doing what in the series now and how is that different or the same as it's ever been uh, dragon ball super as a whole um and i think what people are mostly interested in is in is, is what is toriyama's role what is toyotaro, Taro's role at this point how much is toriyama people like to play that game um and i I also like to play that game a little bit because it's we get drippings of it we get enough to guess, but not a lot of concrete statements so yeah, that's kind of what we're looking at here so all of the uh, the key word that we're gonna be looking at for a lot of this is uh you said it earlier uh Gensaku, which is it has a couple of different meanings it means original work like the original work that all of these spinoff and sequel manga are based on.
0: Right. And the, the example I always like to bring up is Dragon Ball GT. Toriyama gets credited with the original work on Dragon Ball GT. It's not that he made Dragon Ball GT. It's that Toriyama is responsible for the Dragon Ball franchise. That's what's being credited
1: there. Yes. Yeah. So that Gensaku word, uh, it appears on some of the non-super uh, Dragon Ball spinoff manga too. So things like the, the Yamcha reincarnation manga, SD, Super Dragon Ball Heroes. Uh, those all get the Gensaku credit. Uh, and Toriyama also gets the Gensaku credit on Dragon Ball Super. Uh, and then there's another word that we have to keep an eye out for, which is uh, Genon, which is original draft. And that is the word that they bring out when uh, we, we talk about like drafts or outlines that come from Toriyama for a lot of the super arcs. That's something that a lot of fans like to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Right, what, is, what was in the Toriyama draft, the Toriyama outline. And the word for that in Japanese is Genon. So when we have the first new TV content, uh, Universe 6, and it's also adapted in the manga, we get right, uh, Genon. Uh, Toriyama. He's, he's done the, the draft.
0: Right. We knew that before Dragon Ball Super even began. I feel like actually even before we knew they were going to do recap arcs, we knew, oh, I'm setting up this new thing. They're visiting their universe six and who knows what's going to happen. I've come up with uh this new story.
1: Yep, absolutely. So in the uh volume four of the manga, so they talk more about uh Toyotaro receiving this draft, this Genon, uh, this outline from Toriyama, right? And everyone was sort of on board with that being the workflow, right? The mm-hmm. Toei, the, the anime studio would get this draft. Toyotara would also get the draft and they would do their independent interpretations of it with oversight from Toriyama.
0: This is the classic bar napkin joke.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. People joke about it being a napkin with bullet points. And uh, we'll maybe get into some of the reasons that people joke about that a little bit later. In this interview in volume four, we have, I think, Uh, what was the first sign to a lot of people that Toyotaro maybe had more creative input at a higher level than just how he interpreted Mm -hmm. uh, the outline for the manga so I think the key part here is Toyotaro talks about the original plan for uh, Zamasu, for Fused Zamasu sort of the the final boss of the arc and he mentions that in the original draft from Toriyama uh, Fused Zamasu was apparently not that strong. Uh, Super Saiyan Blue uh, Goku and Vegeta alone were capable of Uh, more or less keeping up with him. Toyotaro really wanted to meet fan expectations and have Super Saiyan Blue Vegito show up as as another fusion. And so he had the idea to... He mentions a couple of things. He mentions wanting to include Vegito and then also uh, using the idea of the Potara time limit uh, as a Mm -hmm. key element along with that. That also uh, happened in the anime, in in the TV series. So it's not quite clear... If they both reached the idea of including Vegito independently, if at an earlier stage uh, during the ideation process, Toyotaro pitched this, Toriyama accepted it, and then that went over to Toei, so they included it too. Um, We don't really know, but this opens the idea that it's not just a done deal once uh, Toriyama sends out his drafts to these two different parties. Um, Sure. There's more ideation and Toyotaro is is part of that ideation and part of that back and forth. So I think that's the big takeaway from the Volume 4 interview that was not known or maybe not expected beforehand.
0: We have to talk about the universe survival arc for quite a few reasons. Um, This really feels like We've talked about the Dragon Ball Super television series kind of melting on screen (laughs) in in many cases early on. But it also felt like this arc was another example of production kind of falling apart and changes being made last second. Um, Some of which we've certainly discussed on the show before. Um, But there was an interview in March 2018 on the official Dragon Ball site. It was at the Artisans Who Made the Universe Survival Arc. There's a lot of really good nitty gritty information in here. Uh, and, and this is on the heels of you know, speaking to what Toyota is r- responsible for. He was getting credit on screen in the anime, too, because he contributed character designs. Like, his role is... Was- seriously elevated in terms of uh visibility there
1: yeah yeah he we got uh full releases of all of the original designs for the gods of destruction and and i think more than half of them were credited to toyotaro including some major ones uh is yeah they did yeah oh that yeah
0: absolutely that's kind of like and he's he feels like one of the main characters of the arc
1: yeah yeah so i mean he he had a big role there uh and we see the anime being maybe more willing to adapt some of the, the manga's ideas in that arc as well. I know a lot of people like to point out uh, Super Saiyan God Returns, and there's a little bit of mm-hmm. switching between God and Blue, which was a, a beat in the manga and the Future Trunks arc. Um, I don't know how substantial that is. That could just be that episode's writer liking that idea. Um, sure. But yeah, definitely on a production level. Big elevated role, uh, lots of design work. And uh, yeah, I guess we can get into this interview. So the, the March... Uh, 2018 interview with the uh, anime staff, which is maybe I think this is one of my favorite interviews uh, for be- behind the scenes uh, Dragon Ball Super content uh, ever. I
0: totally agree. Uh, I totally agree. And I, I think so it helps eye-opening. that it's not Tori that it's not Toriyama or Toriyataro. It's just these folks who worked on the series. Like these I,
1: these poor men. I don't know if
0: they're just more <laughs> open.
1: <laughs> uh, you really feel sympathetic toward them <laughs> because it really feels like uh. You can just sense them trying their best to work with what they have, and they are too far. Uh, they're getting ahead of themselves. Production was was such a rush. You get the sense that they're really not getting the most complete workable ideas from uh, Toriyama at this point. So I think right. a lot of the the napkin draft jokes, which are are unfair, I should say. Like I I don't I, I don't think that Toriyama is being that irresponsible, but you really sense that they're struggling to go into production with the the level of input they have at this point. For many reasons. So the thing I want to look at here, again, we're, we're kind of getting at what has Toriyama been responsible for at different points? What influence mm-hmm. have other parties had at different points?
0: Right. And that's why I feel like we're repeating ourselves a little bit over time on the podcast. But this is important to recap yeah, before we yeah, get to we're, the We're
1: building arc. up to, yeah, the, the new content. So we need to reestablish this a little bit. So yeah, they mentioned in the same terminology, Toriyama sent them a draft for the arc uh it had the idea for the the tournament of power 80 competitors uh fighting all in a jumble and it had some of the initial designs so uh likely the the pride troopers and some of the other major incidental characters uh they got designs for uh notably they did not get any input on Jiren's personality so they initially uh sort of drafted or pitched him as a very talkative superheroic character uh, and then they got feedback from Toriyama afterward that, no, he's actually a strong silent type. So he had to change that late enough that he appeared in the exhibition match in, in like some stills for it. And they switched that yeah, to Topo. Yeah, it was the trailer. Yeah, yeah. yeah by the time you already heard. there. So they were really, really scrambling to sort of adjust as new ideas came in here. So there was back and forth after he sent the draft, I think is the takeaway here. He sent the, the initial pitch, mm-hmm. the initial outline. And then he sent clarifications about Jiren's personality. And then they also mentioned they sent the design for, uh, Kale because they, they wanted a Broly equivalent character. So they, they pitched Kale and then Toriyama pitched Cauliflower in response. And in the final arc, in both versions in the TV and the manga, Cauliflower and Kale are are pretty major characters. They're a pretty major sort of like mid boss, middle arc, uh, a middle act character uh, together as, as Kefla, uh, So that's a big uh, portion of the arc that was not obviously outlined at the start and sort of evolved through talks with probably both Toei and Toyotaro. So again, there we have another glimpse of it's not just he sends the drafts out and he's done. These ideas are evolving over talks with different parties at different points.
0: I, I just think, especially in retrospect, it's crazy to go back to this point in time and see them do Broly and then turn around and do Broly.
1: Yeah, that is very strange. Um, <laughs> uh, and from what we know, there was a lot of overlap between the, the Broly film and production of this arc. So, uh, right. yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of st- a lot to dig into with the the relationship between Kale and Broly, production wise, and what happened there. But
0: maybe that takes us to uh, this interview with Akio Ioku. Um, in, in April, 2018, uh, I'll just read the English translation here. First, around the spring of 2017, we presented Toriyama sensei with several different story suggestions for the new movie. I believe there were also suggestions that weren't in his strike zone at all, but using what we threw his way as a reference, we got him to come up with the story. Um, so not just the fact that they're overlapping Broly Broly here. Uh, what's important here is that they're presenting information Uh, and ideas to Toriyama. Um, There's a couple things I want to dig into here. One is that they present multiple ideas to him to come back with for feedback or a final decision. Uh, And this is actually, I think, back to the Future Trunks arc. When we first got the information about that arc, one of Toriyama's comments was that that arc's idea was pitched to him. So there have been points along the way um, where it wasn't Toriyama in a bubble coming up with story ideas here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, we have two, I guess, different scenarios to look at. So the, the myth, the myth of Super is that Toriyama like goes into the mountains and sequesters himself and he, he writes a draft, uh, his outline, right. and no one has any influence on him. And he sends it to Toei and to- Toyotaro and they adapt it. And that's, we know that's not true and it's sort of not true in two different ways. So one, we have the, what we just talked about with uh, Vegito and elements of the uh, turnaround of power right. where, it evolved during right. There were talks during, and, and different people were pitching ideas that made it into the final version. And the other is what happened with yeah the the origin of Goku Black and the Broly the film, where uh, someone from uh, Shueisha pitched a premise to him first, and then he took that basic idea right and an evil Goku or uh, adapting Broly, and then he went and he did his own script or or draft. Uh, based on that but yeah we have we have two different things that have happened here so these evolving uh stories during different talks with toyotaro or uh Toe, and being pitched an idea from someone else and then doing his own sort of outline or script based on that and that is probably not so different from how the original series would have worked too. thinking about torishima's role sure Um, Mm -hmm. Right. We we have talks from Torishima about the origin of uh, Piccolo Daimo, right, where that was sort of an editorial suggestion to move into a more serious villain focused story. Right. Um, And and of course, you know, uh, that was a maybe a more fluid, creative process with the two of them. Um, And it wasn't sort of a pitch from a different outside party. And it wasn't part of a multimedia project. But right. Um as far as looking at what's different, what's the same here with uh within Super itself or or between Super and the original run. Yeah, uh the stories that wind up in Super although Toriyama is taking the final sort of creative pass at what shape they'll take, um definitely different ideas coming to him from all of the other sources involved.
0: I feel like that takes us to the the end of Dragon Ball Super in its first form, which was the end of the universe survival arc uh, and into the Broly movie as well. Uh, And this is where things maybe started to change in, in a few ways. Uh, because then we get into the Galactic Patrol prisoner arc of the manga. Um, we have quite a few things from Toyotaro. Uh, we have a comment from December 2018 V Jump uh, when he's introducing the arc. We have an amazing interview. You translated this one right from um, when Volume 11 was coming out. Uh, his workplace interview where he shows off like his little models that he was making.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, this the 2018. Uh V Jump comment, uh, and then that Volume Eleven interview, I think, are uh, they tell us uh, I think most of the information about how the art came into place that we have. So yeah, something is different here. Uh, so although we've talked about all the previous arcs and and the movie, right? They had outside ideative influence. It wasn't all Toriyama. One thing that was consistent was we always had this Ganon. This all we always had this. There is a draft. There is an outline. Mm-hmm. If it was a movie, it was th- the script. Uh, Sure was from Toriyama. And that is different for the Galactic Patrol prisoner arc, the Moro arc. And it is different for this arc alone. Uh, Let's look at this 2018 V jump comment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let me let me read the whole thing. There's a couple things. It's just like, okay, whatever. And then you get to the end of it. You're like, whoa. Wait, what did you (laughs) say? So, uh, here's what he says. We have finally entered a new chapter and by chapter it's like literal chapter, but also next story arc It is a completely new work that is not in the anime or anywhere else. Unlike Jocko, this Medusu guy in the first chapter is a genuine elite member of the Galactic Patrol. Just how strong is he really? Why has he come to Earth? And who is this criminal that he says has escaped? With the Galactic Patrol prisoner arc, I'm teaming up with Toriyama Sensei and getting a lot of praise as I make it. I'm hoping to make it an enjoyable story that will thrill you all, so please look forward to it. The booklet includes a reprint of the arc opening in chapter 42. So there's a little supplemental booklet included there. Uh, Wow. There's a lot of uh, interesting words in that last half there.
1: Yeah, I think it's more interesting what word is not in there, which is we don't have that word for draft for outline. And that's the first time for any super storyline or movie where we haven't had something like that mentioned. Um, And instead we get, I'm teaming up with Toriyama sensei and getting a lot of praise as I make it. Uh, Which is very, very different. Uh, I think if you were really, really plugged into the -the behind-the-scenes Dragon Ball Super uh, content when this arc started, uh, that was really telling. And I think that was really something to dig into um, because they were always so, so big on pushing that draft, that outline from Toriyama. And to go into a new storyline and specifically not mention that in its opening press was uh, pretty remarkable. And so I think a lot of people saw that and there were basically two reactions to this if you were sort of in the fandom following this at the time. Uh, One, you had people who I think, I don't want to show my bias here, but I think this was the more reasonable approach. And I think I'm I'm very biased that this is the correct way to interpret this. Um, I I have no horse in this race, but this is the right way to take this. Probably this meant that it was mostly a Toyotaro helmed in an ideative sense, a mostly Toyotaro directed and outlined arc. But of course, Toriyama would still be there giving input and supervision. And I think that mostly bears out through later content we'll look at. That was probably what happened here. Um, the other way that people took this was Toyo- uh, Toriyama is just done. He's gone. This is all uh, Toyotaro. He's sending <laughs> his drafts for a nominal check, but this is just him. And, and Toriyama has quit Super now. Um, that was the other way people took this. And the I guess the third way people took this was they just didn't see this at all because they weren't. That plugged into the fandom because they're normal, reasonable people. And uh, as far as they knew, the series, had, had there was no change, right? It was still the mm-hmm. same credits in Japanese, uh, again, ma uh manga Toyotaro, uh, same credits in English, which are very confusing and misleading in, in Viz's uh, version where it says written by Toriyama. It's, it's not written by Toriyama. That's very clear from any of the interviews and any of the material. It's scripted by Toyotaro and drawn by him, but... That credit never changed. So still had Toriyama's name in a, a pretty prominent creative position. So if you weren't plugged in at all, you just thought, well, uh, nothing has changed. But uh, mm-hmm. clearly, clearly something had uh, very, very, I think, obvious at this point that Toriyotaro's creative role is at least much higher than it was before, which I guess brings us into that, uh, that workstation, that workplace interview with Toriyotaro that came out before volume 11, where we have a little bit of clarification, uh, As to what the creative process was, maybe a little bit more fuel for the fire for different uh, readings of that previous statement. (laughs) Of Um, course, yeah. Yeah, the the really key things we find out here are that Toyotaro designed the main characters. He designed Moro. He designed uh, Merusu or Meris in in Viz's version. He had, of course, designed some major characters for the Universal Survival arc, but not the main ones. Uh, Toriyama still did Jiren. He still did the primary antagonist. He did... Uh, the other major Pride Trooper characters. Um, this is the first time that Toyotaro has taken the big characters and and all of them for the arc.
0: You know, I actually wanted to bring up around this time. It's kind of important because this is like the Toyotaro prop-up time. At the same time that this is going on, Super Dragon Ball Heroes World Mission is hitting on Nintendo Switch and oh, yeah. PC. And the final villain of that game, Shirasu, um, very notably and heavily promoted as designed by Toyotaro, Uh, effectively also based on victory mission, which Toyotaro drew.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was, you know, that is strange when you think about it. Um, They, this was really the first time that it ever happened. Uh, They used Toyotaro's name as a selling point for that game, for a major, uh, Heroes is a major multimedia pillar of Dragon Ball now, however you feel about it. So yeah, that big Uh, The home port of that game. And that was, I think, the Dragon Ball game for that year or month or week or however often they come out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it wasn't, here's something Toriyama did. It was, here's something Toyotaro, the author, artist of the sequel manga in V-Jump. This is something he did. Um, That's Mm -hmm. a a pretty striking amount of prominence for someone in his role in general. and, And I guess for him personally, compared to anything that had happened prior. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We got uh, Shirasu, the the handsome man, Uh, Toyotaro's quest to design the handsome character, uh, which he mentions in several of his design notes on Shirasu and Merus. But yeah, we we find out that he designed the main characters for this arc, but we also find out that one of the new character's secrets, quote-unquote, which everyone has interpreted, I think, pretty reasonably as being uh, Merus' backstory. Um, He credits that to Toriyama, Um, So we also know that it isn't just Toriyama loosely supervising. He was also involved in some of the key ideas, the key creative components of this arc. So I think putting that interview together with the uh, prior statement, uh, I think a reasonable picture of what happened with that arc was there was no Toriyama draft, which there had always been in in the past. It was Toriyama and Toyotaro having story meetings and pitches with each other and then toyotaro taking the helm on how the final story was shaped and sort of how it went chapter to chapter which is different from what it had been previously but i think maybe not so different um there was probably no toriyama draft which is you know a, a substantial departure but it's not as if there weren't back and forths on an ideative level in previous arcs with with different parties So a little bit different, a little bit the same. Um, I think it's fair to call that Toyotara's arc in in a way that none of the other ones in Super so far have been, but it's not Toriyama's involvement in it is different, but maybe not so radically different from what it was in other parts of Super. We actually have some more hints as to what happened in that arc from recent interviews as well. Uh, So I guess maybe we can jump ahead to talking about the Granola arc, and, and I guess... This was kind of our big question. What's up with the granola arc and what is up with the creative involvement from uh, Tor- uh, Toriyama and Toyotaro in Super, the manga, right now? Who is responsible for what and the granola arc? And how is that different or the same from what has come before?
0: Where we start here is probably what you and I talked about in the podcast most recently when you were on was this uh, October 2020 interview on the official V Jump YouTube channel where Victory Uchida comes on and is talking about what's going on <laughs> with the manga. And we got some really interesting um, tidbits out of there. This is where we got the comparison of the the battle powers between them, which is very cute. What about this do you again want to pull out to kind of set the stage for where we're going next?
1: Yeah, so I think, uh, again, if you were following the -the behind-the-scenes content really closely, uh, you kind of had the impression that the previous arc, the Galactic Patrol prisoner arc, had been Toyotaro-led, Toriyama-influenced, maybe, compared to what what had been the reverse before. And I think a a lot of people, myself included, were kind of expecting that to just continue for at least one more arc. And this interview really did nothing to disabuse anyone of that uh, notion. And and it really kind of provided more basis for that. So in this interview, he describes, for the first time this has ever been described, as as far as I'm aware in any of the the behind-the-scenes content, he talks about story ideation meetings, right? Story sort of pitch meetings between himself, Toyotaro, and Toriyama, um, where they're narrowing down General ideas for the next storyline, and he talks about having multiple ones at that point, and, and sort of hoping to narrow it down to three. Talking about spending more time narrowing down ideas here than they had previously, which does hint that similar meetings were happening previously. To what extent they were happening during the anime adjacent arcs, we don't really know, but they probably were happening. Maybe that's you know the kind of that maybe that's where Vegeto was pitched. But yeah, he talks about having these sort of. What is the next plot line? And the people involved are himself, uh, Toriyama and Toyotaro. Uh, so just the V-Jump manga crew. So that is maybe different from what had been happening prior. Uh, but yeah, at this point, we know they're meeting. We know that Toriyama is still involved. We don't know how big Toyotaro or Toriyama's sort of stamp on the final arc is going to be at this point. But I think a lot of people were expecting it would be the same as the previous arc had been. So mostly Toyotaro sort of in the, the driver's seat. But yeah, that's what we get out of that meeting. So we know that the three of them talk and are pitching with each other at a very basic ideative level at this point.
0: So where we go next in terms of like reference material are, are a couple little side columns in VJump. Uh, but I feel like the, the questions were raised before we got any of this. What was... What were we seeing on the page? What were we feeling while reading this arc that was kind of raising some eyebrows? Was there anything where we're like, wait, is is this the same as what was happening before?
1: Uh, well, I think every time you get a new arc of Super, especially now, it's only happened twice, but I, th- I think we can already draw a sure. pattern. <laughs> um, people are curious as to how involved is Toriyama, how involved is Toyotaro, how involved is anyone who has a creative role to play in Dragon Ball. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you already have that speculation, uh, a lot of people thought that Granola was designed by Toriyama. Just looking at him, he, he's, a, he's a little mm-hmm. Dragon Questy. That turned out to not be the case, but uh, just the designs of the new arc were fueling speculation. On the other hand, the fact that there was big narrative uh, narrative connective threads to the Mordor arc. You had uh, 7-3, the, the android who had appeared in that arc, playing a, a major role in the setup of this one. So did that mean it was still sort of toyotaro taking the lead what did that what did that mean if anything um so yeah just a lot of speculation based on how the arc started out
0: all right so let's get into this column this was in the february 2021 v jump which came out in december 2020 so it's fairly old i I guess at this point it's just it's not just a side column; it's like literally the side of a larger page. Where they going through some of the fights in the series, but it's it's a couple questions with Toyotaro. I mean, the first two were kind of like softballs. What'd you think about the Galactic Patrol prisoner arc? Who's your favorite character? Oh, you love Marusu. And we get the final question. Here's that word again. We get a Toriyama draft.
1: Yeah. Yep. Uh, so Genon appears. The the word for draft and outline. Uh this blows my mind. This this is probably uh, of anything. There's so much weird stuff with super behind-the-scenes revelations and content. This is one of the weirdest ones to me, because they had always taken a big forum to announce that they had a new Toriyama draft, a new Toriyama storyline, right? That was what they were selling all of these new TV storylines on. And now it appears, after being absent last arc, they, they wouldn't say it last arc. And here it appears, not in any sort of big conference, no big announcement, no big press, It's just in a teeny tiny little sidebar interview next to their standard like series recap promotional pages after a chapter. And it's tucked in in teeny tiny text in in the answer to this last question on this page where Toyotaro says, we've spent more time on this story than ever before. And I was able to receive a really great draft from Toriyama because of it. And that's so crazy. So we get in the same language we've always had before, we, we find out there is a Toriyama draft, a Toriyama outline for this arc, but it's not mm-hmm. promoted in, in in any big way. So when I saw this, uh, because I'd been following all of this, my thought was, okay, well, what happened here? It might just be a matter of not having a TV series anymore. So there's no sort of big promotion for it in general.
0: Yeah, maybe the Toriyama has more time? I, what? Maybe Yeah,
1: well, when I read this, this was my idle uh speculation when I hit this. And I, I don't think this is necessarily true now, because we've gotten more. But when I saw this, I, I based on what had to come prior, I thought, okay, well, probably Toyotaro is still mostly taking the lead on this, but they had story meetings together. And then maybe for a little bit of extra hyper promotion, they said, okay, now that we've all hashed this out, uh, Toriyama-sensei, would you write the final draft for us so that we can say you did it? Sure. And that wouldn't necessarily be creatively that different from what had happened at any previous point, but I thought maybe that was kind of the flow here. Um, And we find out that that was not the case. But yeah, it was a very unusual wording. It was the same wording they used to promote the big TV arcs that... Had come from Toriyama, but revealed in a very, very low key way, which I thought maybe signaled uh, some sort of different, uh, some some creative shift. Um, I right. think there might be. We'll, we'll get into there. There is some shift, and we'll get into what that is. I guess.
0: Uh, I will say we don't actually have this formally archived on the site, so we'll have to do it. It's three questions, so hopefully I can throw this at someone, whether it's you or I can give it to someone else. I'd love to get that up there. Um, We actually go to the the very next month in vJump. So this is the March 2021 vJump released in January 2021. And if I'm looking, that was actually when... Um, Super Chapter 68 came out. So the arc is, like, truly beginning, getting going at this point. That's Granola, the Survivor, Chapter 68. What do you want to tell us about this? This is also, kinda like... like we were talking about with V-Jump earlier, where everything kind of is built around the manga chapter. So, before Dragon Ball Super, you get, like, 20 pages of glossy, full-color, here's a video game, here's the gotcha. here are the figures, then you get the super chapter, and then immediately after the super chapter, you usually get a page of here's the upcoming volume, by the way, also by Dragon Ball SD, you can probably get that somewhere, Um, Super Dragon Ball Heroes by Nakayama's stuff. Uh, And occasionally, you'll get some extra little columns, like the previous issue had the fights, and then the side column with the questions this um this next issue had a similar thing where they're recapping what volumes coming out and then we get some q a's with toyotaro again
1: yeah so we get more revelations about who did what in this storyline uh i think the most immediate one is we find out that uh toyotaro designed granola and i think some people had already caught on because the sort of full character art for him was very much in uh Toyotaro's style but yeah he's he's very explicit here that he designed the character so we, we now know that and that's similar to how the previous arc had gone uh and then there's reiteration about uh, toriyama having sort of done the organized this story or done a draft for it so mm-hmm. uh we get those two revelations here and i think uh kind of just left a lot more people confused uh than anything about sort of what exactly this arc was? If it's a Toriyama draft, why did he not design the characters? Who did what? Uh, how involved is anyone in anything? What is Dragon Ball? Who is Granola? What is Granola? Uh, we, we just didn't know. Um, but yeah, we, we we did know that Toriyotaro had designed the characters, at least. And uh, Toriyama was a char- apparently responsible for the story draft.
0: Anything else to pull out here? It's relatively short. It's what, no, like that four, was, that four was pretty minor. I
1: think, yeah, the, the big revelation was uh, the character design.
0: Well, that takes us to the present. I mean, the arc has, again, has just been ongoing this entire time. <laughs> you know, we're talking about all this behind-the-scenes stuff, but every month there's a new chapter, so we're a few chapters in at this point. So, August 2021, uh, we get the first of, there's going to be a follow-up to this, so we might even have a follow-up to this conversation. Uh, Toyotaro is doing video interviews uh, regarding Dragon Ball Super and V-Jump and serialization and production here. Uh, he very rarely does this kind of stuff, but we got Toyotaro on screen answering questions.
1: Yeah, I- I guess one thing to note is uh, we talked about this earlier where they used his design to sort of sell the Dragon Ball Heroes Humport. Uh, mm-hmm. Toyotaro's visibility for a V-Jump artist is pretty remarkably high. Um, I don't think anyone else is really used to sell their aspects of their franchise like he is. Um, so that's kind of interesting just in general. They,
0: they brought him to America a couple of years ago. He was at comic
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just like... None of the the Yu-Gi-Oh sequel artists are like getting that kind of press, right? Uh it just it doesn't happen for that artist in that magazine, right? They're usually it's very much sort of a work for hire position. And I think probably contractually it is for for him too. But uh sure. His sort of overall presence in the greater multimedia franchise that he's helming the sequel manga for is is pretty remarkably high compared to what usually happens. Um so, yeah, he's doing promotional interviews on the official Dragon Ball site now. And we get a lot of revelations about how this art came into being in this one. Uh, everything that was a question mark before is kind of answered th- at this point. Toyo was kind of doing the initial pitch. Uh, he was sort of sifting through different ideas that he had. He wanted to do someone uh, a story about someone with a uh, sort of a grudge against uh, the science. So, he and Victory Uchida uh, worked out some of the initial. Uh, Character deals, uh, character details, basic story details, they then pass that along to Toriyama, and instead of just giving some, like, pointers and feedback, uh, so what Toriyotara was expecting was just guidance, um, and instead, Toriyama does sort of a, a whole story draft.
0: And that's, that's par for the course for Toriyama. And when we think back to, it really starts here in 2013 with Battle of Gods, where Toriyama comes in and scraps, and I don't want to assign a percentage, but a significant amount of that film rewrites character motivations, redesigns characters, re- effectively rewrites the entire dialogue for the film. Uh, and a similar thing happens with Resurrection F, where we knew from the start it was going to be a Toriyama script, but he delivered an entire script the movie. He comes in, he does this. He, he's asked to do something, and he kind of delivers more than they ask for.
1: Yeah, and I think that is that is positive. I, I think uh, some people would be tempted to read that as being a little mean or dismissive to, I, I guess in F, that's fine, because he was just doing more than he was asked, but uh, rewriting a Battle of God script that already apparently existed, or uh, I guess you could maybe expect Toyotaro to be taken aback at having sort of his initial pitch just fleshed out into something largely different, but he, he at least says that he was uh, happy to have received that and moved by it as a fan, which I, I genuinely uh, believe.
0: I believe too. And we get it from, from two sides here because we have Toriyama who's within the last decade really gone on record of like, I'm the author. I have an idea of who these characters are in a way that only the author can truly know. Um, And he says that, and I don't, I don't read arrogance in that. I read, reality yeah yeah he he is the person who made these characters and and i think toyotaro is truly taking that to heart in in a good way
1: yeah absolutely i think if i had the opportunity to to pitch a dragon ball storyline and and toriyama took it and rewrote it based on those ideas into something he wanted to do i would be like, ecstatic. I, th- I think that would be great, right? Because right, that, right. that is Dragon Ball. It's his it's his world. It's his story in, in style and sort of substance. So, yeah, so that's apparently what happened. So And like you noted, it's it's very similar to what has happened in, in previous Dragon Ball projects in the revival era. era. Uh, and I think it speaks kind of positively to Toriyama as well. I know a lot of people are tempted to read him as just sort of wanting to wash his hands of the series because he, he isn't drawing the manga. He, he turned in apparently overly spartan outlines for previous drafts who knows how and why i think a lot of people maybe read too far into the universal survival arc interview where they talk about the shifting jiren personality the anime was way way too far ahead production rise so maybe it just like shouldn't have been going that fast who knows why that happened but yeah he's obviously still very passionate about these characters and about the world and i think if an idea or a pitch excites him Uh, I think he's genuinely enthused to go ahead and write a storyline that still entertains him personally and that he thinks will be fun. And uh, yeah, it looks like that's what he did here. Uh, Yeah, so what is different about this and what is the same? It is still a Toyotaro idea. So in that way, it is similar to the previous storyline, the Galactic Virtual Prisoner arc, and in that way also different from all of the TV-adjacent arcs. But in some ways, it's similar to the TV-adjacent arcs and that Toriyama did do an outline, but it was based on someone else's pitch, right? That's pretty similar to Goku Black. That's similar to how the Broly movie came into being. So some, similarity, some similarities and differences there as far as comparisons to previous storylines. And uh, specifically, we learned that Toriyama added the hitas or heaters in the Viz version, which are a pretty, they're a pretty substantial part of the storyline so far. So obviously yeah. he really sort of redid this from the ground up and put his spin on it, but uh, kept the, the core seeds of what uh, Toyotaro has suggested. So we get some uh, specifics on what was added from Toriyama, what came from Toyotaro. Um, but I think as far as the big, the big level, who's doing what picture, we now know it was a pitch from Toyotaro. Uh, a pretty detailed one, and then taken of Toriyama's own accord, according to everyone, uh, into a, a full-on draft, which is somewhat similar to uh, what some of the previous storylines have
0: been. I want to pick two pieces out of here to go over with you. One, you actually, as you were tweeting through, you made a little note yourself um, that Toyotaro had been expecting to get kind of just like yeses and nos uh, in terms of direction on elements. And you had a good question. Was this an indication of how the Moro arc went, where he really was in the driver's seat and just getting more yeses or nos as he went? Uh, and that's not what happened here.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I wanted to touch on that as I was talking, actually. Yeah, so this, was the, this is the final sort of puzzle piece of figuring out what was happening with the Moral arc. Yeah, I don't see any other way to read that. I think if he was expecting to just get guidance on his idea this time, that's that's saying without saying that that was how the previous storyline had worked creatively. And that right. matches up with everything yeah. we know, right? Toriyama suggesting character pieces, details, like uh, probably suggesting Meris's backstory, um, but Toyotaro sort of being in the driver's seat as far as the shape of the story and, and what was happening month to month. So yeah, I think by noting that that didn't happen here, yes, I think that's kind of the final confirmation that that is how the previous storyline had worked.
0: This kind of goes back to a prior point we were just talking about where it's it's Toriyama's world and Toyotaro is just playing in it. Um, and Mine are spoilers, I guess, if you're not catching up with it. But there's a, uh, maybe I won't, totally spoil it but there's a some objects that Toyotaro notes by name that like well i don't feel like i can do that that's something toriyama would have to do um i i feel like that kind of backs up what we were talking about before where toriyama is still like this is this is my world and he doesn't feel comfortable doing that without toriyama
1: sure i i have some i guess different feelings on that so one i think as far as answering a question of how involved is toriyama with dragon ball super as a whole or just with regards to the manga at this point Mm-hmm. I think the answer is still pretty pretty heavily involved, right? He's he's the one choosing to add these major new lore additions to it, right? Um, so he's still very much there. He drafted this arc. He's, he's putting pretty major new ideas into it. So yeah, we have that. And then my other sort of personal feelings on that are uh, aside of the whole who's doing what question, uh, my feeling was just, man, I I wish Toyotaro did feel emboldened enough to make those kinds of pitches on his own. Um, yeah. If he is the one who's actually scripting and drawing this comic and super for me, I, I like it because it feels of a piece with Dragon Ball to me, mostly like tonally and, and character wise. That's why I enjoy it as a sequel. It's very much the direct to video sequel. So that it has that sort of context for it. But yeah, although it feels of a piece with the world, it is also its own thing it's a separate sequel series and toyotaro is the one authoring it so i wish that he would sort of feel like he could kind of go bigger on these pitches and if toriyama rejects them he rejects them and that's fine but like man just go go add some new stuff like feel feel emboldened to do that please i think that would probably just lead to more Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball overall, because it's always been pretty freewheeling.
0: I, I feel like that's something Toriyama said, whether it was the volume one or two or four interview, where he kind of gave Toriyama free rein, like "Please, please go, go do stuff. I, I want to see it." Toriyama was like, "Oh no, yeah, <laughs> okay,
1: thank you." <laughs> and I, I think that's the thing too. I, I guess we we talked a little bit about Toriyama obviously still being enthused about the series. I think people kind of the reason people have some doubts about that is because, well, he's not drawing the manga and he's. He's just giving sort of loose outlines for people to flesh out. And I think the thing is, like, he he drew weekly manga for, like, 15 plus years. I think he just doesn't ever want to do that again. I think he's still very excited about doing, cre- like, creating in this world. I think he's still genuinely passionate about, but, like, uh, is more, more than happy to have someone else draw the serialized comic for him as long as they do a yeah, decent yeah. job. And I think in that regard, he's also happy to push... Toyototo into more of a creative role. And it's not because he wants to wash his hands of it. I think it's because he's happy to have someone else actually helming the manga and in that case would be happy to see them put more of their own ideas into it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, To that point about just how involved is he? He... (laughs) How many revisions did the Hitas get? Oh, yeah. Toy- Toyotaro said after the third rejection, he's like, can you please just design them then?
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he did a couple of the, the minor characters in this arc. He designed the Sugarians, uh, who look much like many of his other cute alien designs. Uh, he designed Moni- uh, Monaito, the the new Namekian. Yeah, and then rejected the the Hitas uh, three or four times. Um, and he's always uh, a, a lot of the spots where there, there's a new major character. Uh, we get the the backup pages and the collected volumes that show his revisions.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, just so like volume 16, I think it is just came out. And I get, that's where we got the the aliens and uh, Monito. That's where we got the Oh, Toriyama did.
1: Oh, we find out that uh, Toyotaro drew the hitas uh, as well. So he's, again, drawing most of the main characters for this arc. But uh, Toriyama is being picky about them. Yeah. And, and we, we have his revision of Jiren's debut scene. Uh, generally, when there's a new character, I think characters that Toriyama is really passionate about when they first appear in the manga, he tends to sure dr- yeah, draw yeah. them directly. He he redrews Amasu in his debut scene too. So yeah, he's right. he's obviously pretty passionate about what goes into the page without wanting to actually ever draw a long serialized manga himself again, which I think is fair. Yeah, I
0: again I feel like I'm a broken record on several points. Like I get to my old age, like here are the five things I want to talk about. And one of them is, y'all, Toriyama was a household name and like one of the richest manga authors before Dragon Ball began. I don't think people quite understand just how popular Dr. Slump was yeah. <laughs> in Japan. Yeah. Like it's that was a big deal. The fact that he ended up doing a 10-year stint on another series after that is I mean, who else does that? Rumiko Takahashi, um who's the Yu Yu Hakusho, Hunter x Hunter guy? Togashi.
1: Togashi. Yeah. Uh yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, you can count them on one hand who who are the, who are the folks that have the three or four major series like this. Well, he doesn't need to do manga anymore
1: no he doesn't um i guess, I guess to, to bring this all back around uh i don't know how much of this will stay in because we've, we've kind of gotten around the point but how different is the granola arc from anything that came before a little and in in many ways not because it's never been the mythical toriyama goes into zamasu and black's cabin in the woods and, and he <laughs> right. no one talks too many and he produces his draft it's never been that it, it was at one point toyotaro more in the driver's seat it looks like last arc and in this ways uh, in some ways this arc appears to be more of a mix a slightly different workflow so the answer is it's, it's always changing it's never just been one thing different people have had their hands in the pot at different points but Toya, uh, Toriyama has always been fairly or, or sort of at a very prominent level creatively involved having final say-sos and he's definitely not left the building in any sense um, whether that be right. at any point in the anime or the manga or the movies um, Yeah, so I think that's about where things land
0: and we're gonna get a part two of this interview, uh, the video interview with Toritaro. Uh That's coming. Is it next week? Couple weeks? I forget when the second date was. But I have absolutely
1: no idea. It's but it's soon. coming. It's coming. That's a threat. It's definitely gonna. <laughs> it's gonna come out.
0: That's the production of Dragon Ball Super as it relates to the manga. We, we think. I mean, there's there's a lot of asterisks in there. Um, but like we said a couple times along the way, like there are some things where they explicitly say things there's a couple times they say things without using the exact words but okay that definitely means x then if you said y again it is this twilight sequel series um they're going to promote toriyama as much as they can but curiously they've stopped doing that like the fact that he did write the draft for this, and that was the sideline column kind of thing. Dragon Ball Super's just always been so weird, and I think any scrap we get is just always enlightening.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is that is very strange. No matter how I look at it now, the promotion of this arc is a little unusual. And it might just be that, hey, Dragon Ball Super is just a v-jump manga right now. It's got a new v- movie coming out eventually, but... Uh, The promotion for series without currently airing anime is just different in general. So I think we're seeing some of that, too. Uh, Yeah, and and Toyotoro is almost a name that they can promote on his own at this point, too, which is also very strange. Like, that's been a slow development, very unusual for Mm -hmm. a v-jump artist. Someone, please collect Victory Mission. You can sell it on his name alone right now. Put out a tankoban, I'll buy it. Uh, Release it in America. Everyone buy it.
0: Should have come out alongside World Mission. Like they had a oh silver platter right there. <laughs>
1: it's such an overlooked opportunity. But yeah, who knows what will happen with Dragon Ball Super at this point?
0: Who can say? Ian, uh, thank you so much. I always love these chats. Dragon Ball is so much fun. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so fun. This is the way I like to consume Dragon Ball now. We're just going to sit back and go, is that what they're doing?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the super experience. I feel like we very slowly walked to toward uh, loosely summarizing something that could have been like, five bullet points but it, it, it right. tends not to be and i guess there are a lot more question marks than that and and people are sure. confused and curious about how super comes into being so it's worth talking about right also Indeed. uh public appeal viz please please change the credit from written by toriyama on the english release because that is i see people confused about that all the time he doesn't script it if you're listening to this and you're under that impression toriyama does not script the dialogue in the Dragon Ball Super Manga. That's very, very clear.
0: Uh, co-signed on that. All right. That's gonna bring our topic to a close. I haven't recorded the rest of the episode. I have no idea what's coming next. It may be the end of the episode. We may talk about other things. Again, who can say? But Ian, thank you very much. And um uh, you you uh you just you were going through a little voice actor interview, or thing we're gonna toss that up on the site too.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. There was a little uh on a Japanese TV program, um, Jake Kerms uh, let me know that it had gone up online, So, but it's region locked. So, yeah, we got a little chat between the voice actors of uh, Frieza, Piccolo, and Raditz and Pilaf. Uh, Raditz and Pilaf are the same actor. So, yeah, they talked a little bit about interactions with uh, Masako Nozawa and their brief, brief encounters with Toriyama. And uh, a little bit about how uh, Ryu Nakao envisions uh, his Frieza voice. So little, mm. some somewhat interesting tidbits if you are into the uh, the voice side of the Dragon Ball TV series.
0: I would have introduced that as the voices of Tambourine General Blue
1: and Pilaf. Yeah, I should have thought about that. I didn't know about General <laughs> Blue. I, I I used to know that and I forgot. I'm not as big on the uh, the TV series trivia. Uh,
0: well, I'll say thank you for the third time, and that's the end of this segment.
1: All right, thanks for having me.
0: thanks as always to Ian for uh, everything that he does. We did mention a few things that either are, are like half translated or will be translated. I don't have them up live on the site right now to go alongside this podcast episode but hopefully uh, shortly that stuff will be coming so stay tuned for that. In terms of uh, things to check out right now, well Shueisha is kicking off this 40th anniversary super gallery. Uh, they're starting with with uh, Masashi Kishimoto of Naruto fame. This is, uh, it's on the back of Psycho Jump—it's the back cover. I'm curious if they're going to go through with this because that's like prime advertising real estate on on that magazine. They'll stick with the back cover of Psycho Jump for the full run of things. But they are having uh, famous artists reproduce the original 42 Tengoku Bone covers from Dragon Ball in these artists' own styles. Very cool. Kishimoto's kicking it off. Uh, you may think, wait, it's 2021. The 40th anniversary isn't until 2024. But hey, they're starting early. They have 42 covers to get through. So that'll take them a little bit of time. So check that out. We have that on the homepage of the site. Uh, I have a scan of the actual back of Psycho Jump but then Shueisha also released uh, like the the clean version of Kishimoto's artwork for free. So you can check everything out. We translated Kishimoto's comment as well uh, which falls very much in line with what he said back when um, the bond were coming out in starting in 2003 uh, and every other volume they had a little pamphlet with artists that drew their own take on things. Uh, he's a fan of a certain character and he Backed that up here again in twenty twenty one so check it all out. We are, of course, keeping up with Toyotaro's monthly uh, Toyotaro Drew column on the official Dragon Ball website. He's been going with this uh, Afterlife Tournament theme for a while with a bunch of different characters there and uh, I'm curious if he's concluding it here because the main character he drew was Paikuhan. It's kind of like the main character of that arc and then he drew a bunch of other characters in the background, so uh, I'm curious to see what he will draw for his August image, if there's anyone left that he didn't get there. That is something that goes up in conjunction basically with the release of Fee jump every month. So you should be looking forward to that this week. I put up two new things in the press archive on Konzenchu. Uh If you don't know what the press archive is, you probably know what our translations archive is. It's uh, a massive archive of uh, things that we have translated from magazines, you know, articles, interviews, all of those are the original Japanese sources. The press archive, I like to say is like the sibling to that or cousin in many ways. Uh, It is the non-Japanese sources. It is Dragon Ball in the press, in the media, Um, primarily the North American uh, English language media right now. I do have a bunch of other stuff I'd like to get to in the future. Uh, But that's what I'm focusing on right now because that's what I have the majority of. Two things from 1995 that I have recently posted there. Uh, One is from a magazine called Internal Correspondence. It's a trade magazine, Uh, Internal Correspondence IC. You may see a website out there called ICVT. that does pop culture media news uh, this is where it originated so this is their april 1995 issue which is announcing the forthcoming syndication broadcast of dragon ball from funimation and what i love about this they're not just talking about that but they're also noting viz is in negotiations for the manga that's three years before it actually came out starting in march 1998 here in their april 1995 issue i I just love being able to track all that stuff back uh in addition to that also from 95 a little bit later in august 95 an article from newsweek uh hyping up the broadcast of both dragon ball and sailor moon for that uh broadcast season and they're of course framing it alongside akira as things tended to be done back then new wiki things that you may not have seen uh the front page of the wiki is live right now Uh, i actually didn't realize that it was not live for anyone other than the editors but it's live there now and it lists all of the live preview pages therese has a bunch of uh dragon ball heroes adjacent material for you to check out um mostly the the promo anime stuff uh list of episodes but also mori's uh, music catalog there's just amazing stuff Please, please go check it out. And that's an indication of everything you have coming to you on that project. Um, I will link all of these things I just mentioned in the show notes. And by show notes, I mean the post that accompanies this podcast episode on the website known as KonZenshu.com www.k-a-n-z-e-n-s-h-u-u.com. com. is the website that you're listening to right now, uh, the podcast for ConsentU. And I think that's where I'll leave it because it has been a full episode. I'm going to edit all of this right now and get posting this episode this morning. Let's see, it's Monday, it's quarter past 9 a.m. I'm curious to see when this podcast episode gets released um i do actually have to work today so we'll see uh how and if and when this all uh comes out so thank you everyone check out the website look forward to uh, additional materials coming your way translation wise on the website podcast wise here in the feed uh that's it i have been mike thank you again to ian and of course all the rest of the and you folks we will talk to you next time later